April 8th edition of SnoozeCast, where we take an in-depth look at the biggest stories while bringing new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. I'm campus editor Mila Murray. And I'm copy editor McKenna Ross. MSU's March Madness run ended Saturday after a loss in the Final Four to Texas Tech, and students shared their emotions in typical fashion, large Cedar Village gatherings. We'll talk about the police response then and after last week's celebrations following the MSU versus Duke win. And employees of MSU University Advancement detail the hostile work environment they say they faced. Lastly, we'll discuss a potential expansion to new apartments on Grand River Avenue and Bogue Street that want to remove nearby fraternity houses. From Michigan State's Independent Student Voice, this is SnoozeCast. After MSU's loss to Texas Tech in the Final Four Saturday night, yet another crowd gathered in Cedar Village. No fires were set there, but ELPD reported 10 small fires set in other areas of East Lansing. The whole night ended with 23 arrests. Last week's celebration following the Spartans' win over Duke may have been a little rowdier. A crowd of students, 600 to 800 strong at its peak, got rowdy and burned several objects, including pizza boxes, a jacket, a longboard, and, you guessed it, a couch. Academics reporter Claire Moore reported live on both nights, keeping us updated on Twitter. And photographer Matt Zubik was one of the several photographers who shot some excellent close-ups. So they're both here today. Thanks for coming on. Hey, McKenna. Hi. So what was it like to cover that crazy Cedar Village revelry? Okay, so I would say um, following MSU's win over Duke in the Elite Eight, um, that it was definitely pretty intense. That was on March 31st. That was when the couch was burned. I remember getting there and just feeling like the sense of anticipation and then people just started like screaming and pouring out onto the streets. What did you see, Matt? Um, I got there early enough to kind of watch the crowd grow as there was a there was a small group in the center of Cedar Village uh, that were just kind of standing around waiting for something to happen. And then the larger Grand River crowd came down the street and met with the the smaller crowd and that's when things started to get kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when the, the the couch started burning and um it was there was a longboard that went in. Yeah, longboard, some pizza boxes. Um and this was all March 31st. This right? was all March 31st after they won. Mm-hmm. So how was it different than on April 6th after they lost to Texas Tech? I mean, you could definitely feel a sense of, you know, that same anticipation, but there were so many police out in in advance of the game. I think they were, like, after they had seen what had happened when we won against Duke, they were just preparing in advance. Um, I remember walking to Cedar Village, getting there, and just, you know, everyone was kind of feeling, I would say, disappointed because we had lost, but the police presence, you know, I think also tamp things down a little bit. Yeah, uh, I didn't make it over to Cedar Village last night, but uh, I stayed around the center of town for about 20 minutes for uh, to a half hour after the game had ended, and there was a really hostile mood in the air where people didn't really, they weren't really responsive to being photographed or they straight up told you to just put the camera down, they didn't want any trouble. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, like you said, there were uh, police everywhere up and down the streets you you couldn't walk 10 feet without running into a cop they had mounted police as well and um when you walked into cedar village uh, there were just clusters of police like 15 or so at every corner so how did police respond after texas tech 
So they were out in full force. On Saturday night, the the police were definitely looking for people who were looked like they were going to start some trouble. Um, people were told to keep walking when they were leaving the bar. They were told to go home immediately. They were told directly, don't go to Cedar Village. I think one of the biggest things of the night um, was probably when the crowd in Cedar Village started moving towards Grand River Avenue and blocked traffic there for about 30 minutes. Um, police closed the road off um, because and traffic was getting like blocked um, for a solid amount of time. Um, that's when, you know, like the arrests started happening and everything. So ELPD reported that 23 arrests uh, occurred. Um, I think not just in Cedar Village, probably all around East Lansing for that one, but there were some arrests that I saw being made. Um, I think at, at that point, the police were kind of done because they moved into the crowd, batons out, and uh, started pushing people back to, you know, to go back to Cedar Village, to go home, telling them you can't go in this area and such. Um, and so once that had happened, uh, people started dispersing pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. The, the police restricted certain areas inside the city center where a lot of alleyways you can normally walk down were closed off by officers. And they were, it seemed like they were trying to keep everyone in the streets and mm-hmm. get them out of the center of town as quickly as possible. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for yeah, having thank us. thank you for having us. Employees in Michigan State's University Advancement Department told the state news they have been a part of a persistently toxic work environment without a reliable avenue to air their grievances. Administration reporter Riley Murdoch has been investigating the department since the beginning of the year. Glad to have you on, Riley. Glad to be here. What makes up MSU University Advancement and why is it important to MSU? So University Advancement is MSU's fundraising arm and it's outward-facing communications essentially. It's the department that engages with the community the most. The Alumni Association is one of the departments that's sort of within it. MSU has lost two Alumni Association directors in a year because of unethical behavior. For part of the university that interacts with MSU's donor base most frequently, it's an important branch. What has made the work environment toxic? So the employees I spoke with talked about a culture in the workplace where they feel like they can't come forward with any grievances involving uh, their coworkers, their supervisors, because they fear retaliation, loss of employment, or sometimes just not being listened to or nothing being done about it. They don't really have any faith in the official channels to do so, because a couple said they've complained before and no longer do so because it feels like they're wasting their breath, to paraphrase one in particular. A particular official who had been found to have engaged in an undisclosed relationship with a subordinate, he's still in charge of most of the departments he managed before he was suspended, which frustrates some of the people who work under him. That's sort of been said to contribute and also cause a lot of problems in the workplace. And what led you to both of these investigations? So the State News was given a dossier with an anonymous letter that was sent to the MSU administration and some corroborating documents. That's what tipped us off to the workplace relationship that my sources said was and still is creating a toxic environment. That letter, I believe, started an internal investigation that led to his suspension, but he remains uh, a supervisor of a couple different areas in that department. After that story published, someone sent another anonymous letter to me at the office, which had additional information and allegations they wanted me to look into. After that, I spoke with more people in the department and got a picture of a widespread cultural issue in this workplace, according to what they told me. 
I also uh, got confirmation of a couple different people who were actually resigned from the department after being found responsible for sexual misconduct beyond what was already publicly known. I also learned that there's currently some office institutional equity investigations within the department. That's MSU's Title IX office, so more could still come out of that as well. And what did MSU say about these allegations? So the university spokesperson, Emily Garant, sort of told me that this is just not the kind of culture that they want to cultivate at MSU, and some stuff about that. In a statement also provided by Garant, Marty Heil, the vice president of university advancement, basically the person in charge of the department, said that she's working very hard to do the right thing and situations are brought to her attention. In response to the anonymous letters, uh, she said she set up a staff meeting for early May with some human resources, employee relations, the Office of Institutional Equity, sort of just to talk about the issues in the workplace. So we'll see what comes out of that as well. Thanks for the insight, Riley. Thank you. The real estate firm behind the Hub Construction Project in downtown East Lansing told city officials that it acquired two properties on Bogue Street with the intent to build two more student housing towers in the area. City of East Lansing reporter Evan Jones wrote an article last week about what would happen if the developments got approved. Welcome on, Evan. I'm happy to be back. What are the new developments with the Hub Project in the East Lansing area? So David Pearson is the attorney for Core Spaces, uh, the real estate firm that owns the Hub. Uh, Core Spaces is national, and the Hub on campus is all over from Gainesville, Florida to Seattle, Washington. He says that Core Spaces acquired two properties for the purposes of developing two student housing towers. So it would basically be the Hub 2.0 and 3.0. In order for it to happen, uh, the city would have to revise a lot of code that uh, determines what buildings in the East Village or kind of that section of downtown can be. You mentioned fraternity housing possibly being affected by this. How would any developments with the Hub impact them? So the company that owns these properties, uh, Community Resource Management Company, they own all of the fraternities on Bogue Street except for Farmhouse, who like has ownership from an alumni. So the people in these fraternities haven't heard anything about this transfer of property. So they, they got the word based on the city government receiving a proposed development. Now there's no site plans for this development. There's no real conception of what these buildings are, but in order for any of it to be realized, the city has to massively change its code. And what would that be? How have those city officials responded to that kind of proposal? So there's a couple of things that this project wants to do. They want to build it taller than eight stories, which the code doesn't allow you to do, and they want to have a bunch of four-bedroom apartments so as to make it you know, affordable because kitchen costs are pretty expensive. Uh, currently, the zoning law that determines the East Village requires any housing development to be mixed market rental units. And mixed market rental units can't have more than 25% of the units be three bedroom apartments, which like, that means that you can't have any four bedroom apartments. Uh, Mayor Mark Meadows has said that he is against ordinance changes. And there hasn't really been any official word from other city council members on this. Aaron Stevens, uh, he seemed ambivalent about it. He said he didn't want to really have an opinion until uh, an actual site plan was submitted. And Mayor Mark Meadows did say that the subject of ordinance changes for the East Village would come up in a later discussion-only meeting. Okay, well, thanks for being here. Uh, anytime.
look ahead to this week's news. This week, former MSU President Luanna K. Simon has her second and third court appearances in her preliminary hearing in Eaton County. Simon faces charges of lying to police officers in the investigation into MSU's handling of Larry Nassar's sexual abuse. Follow along with the state news Monday and Tuesday for coverage. Thanks for listening to Snoozecast, where the state news takes an in-depth look into the biggest stories while bringing new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. You can find us on Twitter at TSNCast and at the S News, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash state news, and always online at statenews.com. Tune in next week for more insight into our biggest stories.